We're going to be in 2 Samuel, looking at chapter 12, verses 15 through 23. And this year we've kind of been just dealing with topics and subjects um, kind of all over the place. Just kind of how the Lord led me to plan the year as far as the sermons would go. And so today we're going to be in a subject that uh, without a doubt guaranteed affects every person in this room um, probably multiple times. And it's the subject of grieving. And specifically... We, we tend to grieve uh, in a difficult situation of suffering and ultimately what ends up in loss is we, we grieve and every human being must do it. Uh, grieving is natural. Um, grieving is something that takes time and grieving is not the same for every individual. Uh, it's, it's personal. We all grieve at different speeds. So today's going to be a difficult subject to look at, but God's Word shows us how we can handle it and how we can get through it God's way and make it out on the positive end. Because there is a negative end to grieving. But what this is going to come down to is as Christians should grieve and end up grieving a little bit different than the rest of the world because we have something called hope. Whereas no other system and you know this lost world doesn't have a hope. When, when suffering ends in, in death or when there's just a death and no suffering, death is it for this world. Or at the, at the best, the world doesn't know what happens. We have an answer and Jesus proved to us what happens after death, there's actually life. But we're still humans. When we deal with death, when we deal with loss, we all deal with grief. So I want to define it for you first. It should be on the screen. Grieving is deep, enduring, and intense sorrow or suffering caused by an emotional loss. So that, when we talk about grieving, that's what we're talking about that everybody deals with at some point. And... Depending upon how long your life is, you will grieve at least once, but maybe will probably grieve multiple times. And on the flip side of that, people will grieve for you. It's, a, it's an unfortunate part of living in a sin-fallen world, sin-cursed world, uh, where death is, is the ultimate result of sin. And because of death, which is not natural, it's not something that God ever wanted us to have to deal with, um, it's something that we all are forced to deal with. And we grieve. What I want to show you first before we get in the passage, we're going to talk about King David and when he lost his child and how he dealt with it, what you learned from him. But I want to show you that when you talk about counseling, there's two spirals that people go down. Only one of these two when you're dealing with grieving. There's an upward and there's a downward. And there's some little differences between the two lists. I want to show you the positive upward spiral first. So grieving starts the same way. You have your initial loss, and the first thing that happens is numbness and shock. So you ever been through that before? You've grieved before, you've lost someone. That's what happens first. I can't believe this has happened. This just isn't getting the way things have been. This is just weird. From there... 
people generally deal with these feelings of emptiness and solitude where you're not shutting everybody out, but you just want some time to think to yourself, process what's happened. After that, as you're thinking through all of this, people will deal with anxiety, maybe some guilt and maybe some shame. You know, there's all different kinds of questions run through your mind when you've lost somebody. And these are the emotions you deal with. After that, there may be some anger and irritability. Next is sadness. And some of these can happen together. It's not like, here's the next step. But you notice, and you're going to see the big difference between where you end up on the upward scale or upward spiral of grief, you end up at acceptance. You finally get to the point, and remember, like we said before, it's different timing for everyone, but you eventually end up with accepting what's happened. You don't like it, and your life isn't the same, but you have accepted what's happened, and you continue living. Now let's look at the downward spiral. Downward's got some little differences. Some things are the same, but on the downward spiral, you start off just like the other, numbness and shock, can't believe what's just happened, what's going on, and then you go to emptiness just like the upward, but notice what's different. Instead of solitude, isolation. It's not just that I want to be alone to process. I want people to leave me alone. I don't want to be around anybody, and I actually start cutting people off. may even sever ties, cut relationships. And then that's really where it starts to change in the, in the grief spiral because then there's anxiety, guilt, shame, just like the other, but fear sets in too. I'm now afraid. I'm afraid about the future. Some people are even afraid about their own physical well-being, uh, worried about their own death now. From there... Anger, just like the upward, but now you also deal with animosity. Or now I've got hatred for other people. Um, I may even want other people to hurt like I'm hurting. I may want to hurt others. And then that's where it all changes. You have resentment and bitterness, and then finally despair. So on the upward, you see sadness and you finally accept it but on the downward you get to where you resent you're resentful you're bitter and you're in despair now none of that's easy to go through and none of it's easy to talk about but what i hope to show you is what david did because he has a reaction where the people around him are like has this guy lost it because he deals with it in a very weird way he has all these emotions that we all do when we deal with loss and suffering. He, he cries. He can't eat. Uh, he doesn't want to be around anybody. He's praying to God a lot. But then when it's over, and when it's time to have the funeral, and you know the steps after that, he gets up, he cleans himself up, he goes and eats, and then he goes and has a worship service. I've been to a lot of funerals. I have officiated a lot of funerals, and I've also been in the crowd for many in my, in my life. And eating and celebration and worship are not typically things you want to do at a funeral. Sometimes we add that stuff in, but you're not really a happy, joyful person 
How can David do that? And how can I do that even when I've suffered a tremendous loss? God's got some answers for that for us. So this is where we're going to pick up, 2 Samuel 12, 15 through 23. And just so you get the situation, this is where David's family suffers a big loss. He, he loses his child with Bathsheba. And if you're familiar with that situation, Bathsheba was the wife of another man named Uriah. Israelites were off fighting. For some reason, when kings were supposed to be off at war with their men, he was not. He was back home. He wanders around, catches a glimpse of something he shouldn't be looking at, decides that it's Bathsheba, and he decides he wants her, has her come over. She can't really refuse him because he's the king, and he gets her pregnant. Well, to cover that up, he says, let's call Uriah in from the battlefield. He'll go home. Hopefully he'll sleep with his wife, and then when the baby comes, we can pin it all on him. I won't be guilty. Well, Uriah is a man of honor, and he says... You know, I'm coming back, but I'm not going home because I got guys out there still fighting. They can't go home. I'm not going to. So that upsets David, but he has him sent back. And this time he says, all right, when Uriah gets back, you're going to put him on the front lines where the battle's the worst. And then when things get really bad, I want you to pull everyone back and leave him to fight for himself. This totally sick, dishonorable thing to do. But he does it. Uriah is killed, and then, and then David tries to play the hero, and he brings Bathsheba in as his wife. And so as all that's happened, a prophet named Nathan comes to David, says, look, because you've done all this wickedness, you've broken every law in the book against God in doing this thing, that child is going to die. Now that may seem harsh to us. Say, why would God kill the child? Well, we've talked about this previously, but God has a special place for the innocence of children. That child will go to be with God. But David, on the other hand, is going to have it pretty much rough from that point forward. And the most difficult thing is going to be dealing with this loss of this child. So let's look at the story here. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and, and lay all night on the ground. That's generally the type of stuff we do when a loved one is suffering and they're ill and it seems like death is at the door. That's what we do. We pray a lot, we don't eat, we don't sleep, we cry a lot. And he's got people around him too, so... The elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Couldn't even get himself off the ground. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. So when David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground. He washed and anointed himself. He changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. That's the, that's the weird reaction we we're talking about. They're like, what, what is he doing? He went to his own house 
And when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. And then his servant said to him, what is this that you've done? You fasted and you wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. What would you be thinking if you were the people that were there with David trying to support him in this difficult time and you know he's reacting like you would expect him to react while the child is sick but then after the child has died he gets up and wants to just continue on with life as it was how does he do that and he says some pretty strong stuff there so David knows what's going on these guys at the situation they're you know he's he hasn't eaten, he hasn't slept, he hasn't wanted to do anything. He just wanted to lay around, pray and cry to God. And that's the way he was reacting then. How in the world is he going to react when we have to go tell him that it's finally happened? David reads their body language. He knows what they're whispering about. says, what's happened? They tell him and then he has this reaction. He gets up, he eats, he cleans himself and he goes and has a worship service. So how does he do this? Number one, how can we grieve in a biblical, healthy way? Number one, maybe the most difficult, allow yourself to face the reality of the situation. Allow yourself to face the reality of the situation. You notice in those two spirals that that's kind of where it gets off for people. I'm just not willing to accept that this has happened. Because we don't want to. It's not natural. Verses 19 through 20, when David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. He, he knew what was happening. And therefore David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he's dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, went up to the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. David's already been told by the prophet that this was coming. So it's not like it's a shock. And a way you can think about it is you're sitting there in the hospital or you're there with the doctors and the doctors say, look, the prognosis isn't good. They've got so much time left. It's almost like a prophecy, something, I mean, you know it's coming. David's had that. And now that it's happened, he can see everybody whispering. He can see the guys talking about it and they're like, well, how, how are we going to break the news to him? Because he hasn't handled this well. And David gets it. And you see what he does? He starts talking it out with them. Starts talking about it. Asking questions. You notice in that spiral again, one of the big differences, how we handle grief well versus not well. Do we ever get to a point where we can talk? And get this stuff, get our thoughts, get our emotions out with someone else. Because the two sides, again, it's either we face it and we start talking about it, or I keep it bottled up inside, then I get angry, and I start hating everybody, and I start hating what happened, and it just boils up. That's the first thing that we learn here, and it is a very difficult lesson to learn, but something if we would do, 
And everybody in here suffered loss at some point. You know that this is a difficult step, but when you do it, things get a little bit smoother. Accepting the situation that's happened. And that's what David does, and he does that by, by talking it out with him. So the first step in grieving biblically is we allow ourselves to face the reality of the situation. And also, Christians, we have the book of truth in our hands. The Bible tells us clearly that this is just a reality of life. We know it's coming. We know nobody lives forever. We also know suffering is a part of this. We should be thankful to God that he at least tells us that up front. Right? And we know that truth. And then we get to number two. This may be a little bit more difficult for men, but I've known women to struggle with this too. Deal with all the emotions in the situation. Not just some. Deal with all the emotions that you deal with in this situation. And everybody reacts differently. Verses 21 through 23. Then his, just look at the spectrum. So then his servant said to him, What is it that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But then when the child died, you arose and you ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious or not? But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Shall I go to him? But, or I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Look at all these different things that he does. It's, it's this roller coaster. So first he's fasting. Fasting in the Bible is connected to grief, deep shame, and repentance. That's the only times you see fasting taking place. So he's dealt with the valley of dealing with someone who's suffering. And a lot of you have in here have dealt with that too. We all know that part of it. So he's dealt with that deep sadness, regret. So when he's on the floor, he can't get up, won't eat. He is weeping. That word there is for deep crying, for sobbing, shedding tears. It's good to cry. You know, God gave us, He created us. Even us tough guys, God gave us tear ducts for a reason. And if men weren't meant to cry, then why did Jesus cry like a little baby when Lazarus died? And He was God. We need to cry. Crying is good. Crying gets a lot of that stuff out, especially when you don't have words. And also, you know, I've heard this, you know, in, in counseling classes and stuff. It's good to remember that there is a difference between just crying and the good cry. The good, hard, deep cry where you get all of it out. Be sure if you're ever grieving that you, you have that one. And I know some of you know what I'm talking about. After you do that one, there's a little bit of relief. God designed us that way. We're relational, just like He is. When we lose someone, we should cry over them if, it's, if we need to. No reason to hold it back. And then you see the next thing He does, He's in deep prayer. He's pleading with God. How many of us do that for someone that we could potentially lose? 
And then he's dealing with depression, laying on the ground, refusing to clean himself up. He's refusing to eat. And then the flip side, the other side of the roller coaster, he rises up, he eats food, he bathes, and he worships. So they can't figure out what's wrong with him. What in the world? He's finally flipped. And notice his honesty in verse 22. This is one of the reasons, I've mentioned this before, why I appreciate God's Word. is because it doesn't hide behind some religious talk. This is real life right here. Verse 22. While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? That's where all of us are. No one in here knows if God's going to heal my sick loved one or not. We trust we trust His Word, but we, we have no clue what God's plan is in any of the suffering or any of the illness or whatever we're dealing with that's leading us to grief. We don't know. And David, this is the man after God's own heart, the man who sought God's will in his life even though he made many mistakes. He is admitting, yeah, I prayed, I cried, I, I pleaded with God because who in the world can tell whether the Lord is going to be gracious or not he's honest you don't know that and a lot of times we go through these situations as the bible tells us to grow our faith if we had an answer we wouldn't pray if we had the answer we wouldn't seek god so he leaves some of that out so that we would seek him but then also notice this. David deals with all these emotions. He has the good cry and then he faces reality of what's happened. But notice what he says next. It's, it's one of the most hope-filled verses in all of Scripture. I shall go to him. And really you can stop there. Because then he says, but he shall not return to me. He realizes the reality that this person that I've just lost is never coming back to me on this earth. That's a hard thing and a hard pill to swallow. But it's the truth. That person will never come back here. But notice the hope-filled part. I am going to go to him. He knows where the child is. That's the wonderful, one of the amazing things of the good news of the gospel. As someone who is a believer in Jesus, you know exactly where they are going when they leave this earth. And then if I'm a believer as well, this is just a moment in time until I'm reunited with them again. That's why I started at the beginning saying we have the answer to this, to this grief stuff that the rest of the world does not have. Death is not the end. Death is the, the reality is death is the end for my relationship with that person in the physical form here on this earth. That's the truth. But life and eternity is just beginning for them. And while they're in eternity with Jesus, guess what? They're waiting for us to join them. If we are a believer, the wonderful thing in the gospel is death is not the end. Whereas if someone does not have the gospel, that's what this world believes. Death is it. It's a sad way to look at it. So David realizes, I'm never going to see my loved one again in this life. I recognize that, but I will see them in heaven with God. 
And I'm going to go there because I'm a believer too. You see why the gospel is so important? The gospel is so important because it guarantees life after death. It guarantees a reuniting with your loved one if they are a believer. Before we go to the last point, I don't want to read too fast over the first part of verse 23. So he says, But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? This is a point that I wanted to make. It's a simple point, but it's something that a lot of people struggle with. Read his words again. Now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back? Here's the note in this process of grieving. It is okay to move on and it's okay to be happy again. It's okay to move on and it's okay to be happy again. A lot of people struggle with that, especially if it's a spouse that you were married to for a long time. Some people buy into the lies of Satan to believe that I'm not allowed to move on. I'm not allowed to be happy because if I do that, I dishonor them. God wants you to have a peace-filled, joy-filled, grace-filled, mercy-filled life. Death is a reality because of sin, but if He's their Lord and Savior, He's taking care of them. We no longer have to take care of our loved ones anymore when they're gone. God's got that. You are allowed to move on living your life. Not that you disrespect them, not that you forget about them or you replace them. You're allowed to move on and be happy. You are not called by God to grieve forever. Number three, this is the last point. So in the grieving process, trust in God, pray a lot, and be sure to look to heaven. Trust in God, pray a lot, and look to heaven. Verse 23, He's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I shall go to him, but he shall not go to me. When David accepted the reality of his loss, in the next part when he went through all of his emotions, he remembered the future hope that God promised. Do you trust the promises of God? If you ever have any doubt, the, the nail in the coffin of worrying about what happens after I die or what happens after somebody else dies is what did Jesus do after He died? He resurrected to life three days later. And the Scriptures make it clear, since He rose, you will rise. So if your loved one who is a believer is gone and you've, you've grieved, you hang on to the hope that what happened to Jesus is happening to them, as had happened. They are in heaven. They are living. And they're just waiting for me as a believer to arrive up there with them whenever my time comes. That's hope. I'm going to see them again. It's not over. And you notice too, David's ability to heal, it's not found in himself. He's not looking to himself to heal through the grieving. You see who he looks to? He looks to God to heal him. 
God said this, I'm trusting this. For us, God said this and Jesus proved it. So I'm going to trust God and trust Jesus because of that truth. Death is not the end in God's book. I'll show you a couple of verses and then I'll close. Psalm 57.1 Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. See, there's the first part of that, trust in God. The psalmist did it often. Psalm 55.22, this one's very familiar to a lot of Christians. Cast your burden on the Lord and He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. There's a great hope in that. If you're a true believer in Jesus, He will not allow your faith to fail you. You ever been through those situations, even in grieving, and you don't know how your faith's going to make it because it was rough? But somehow you still come out with your faith intact, maybe stronger? It's because God did it, not you. That's how faithful and good He is. He's going to make sure your faith is preserved. But that's the second point, pray to God, that we just read. And uh, I wanted to point this word out, Psalm 55, 22, where it says, cast your burden. That's Yahav in the Hebrew. Cast your burden, cast your lot in life. Cast whatever it is that's troubling you at the mercy of God. Throw it at His feet. Throw it down at His throne and let Him handle it for you. Don't carry the weight of grief by yourself. And the final points made in different passages, look to heaven. This is the key, looking to heaven. That's where the hope is. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-14 But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. What, what they were dealing with in the early church at Thessalonica is they had people coming in saying, no, death is it. You know, there is no resurrection. I don't know where you're getting that, but there's no resurrection. And Paul was writing to build their hope back up. No, this is... Not God's Word. This is what Jesus proved. He says, don't be ignorant of those who have fallen asleep. That's a phrase for people who have died. Don't be ignorant of this. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. Jesus rose, therefore our loved ones will rise. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, why can we trust that there really is life after death? Because Jesus rose from the grave. And not only do you rise, verse 4, you rise to an inheritance incorruptible. It will be riches and glory and a body that will not go into corruption it won't get sick. It won't die ever again. It's eternal and it's perfect. It's undefiled and it does not fade away. And look at this. It's reserved in heaven for you. You ever made reservations? Sometimes they fall through because we're in a broken world. But you, if you're a believer, you have a reservation in heaven. And it's guaranteed. He's just waiting for you to get there. Your hotel room's ready. Remember that. 
And your loved one who was a believer who's already gone, guess what? All death was for them was a celebration with Jesus and they went and got their room. Now they're waiting for you to show up. Imagine what that day will be like. And this is the last part of that verse. You are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is all kept, sealed, guaranteed for you. And in the last verse, 2 Corinthians 5.1, we know that if our earthly house, this tent, talking about the body, we know that if this body is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house made not with hands, eternal in the heavens. You've even got a brand new body waiting for you at that reservation. You're looking forward to a brand new body? I think we all are. So, in the midst of grieving, the bottom line is look to heaven. If you're a believer, hope in Jesus. He resurrected, my loved one resurrected. He resurrected, I'm going to resurrect. Death is not an end. Death is a, is a beginning. I wonder what, because other cultures handle death and funerals in different ways. Some cultures have a big celebration. I wonder what it would look like if at our funerals as Christians, maybe we celebrate a little bit more. A lot of funerals I've been to, they do. It's a time to grieve, but as Christians, my brothers and sisters, it's a time to also celebrate, not for us. We celebrate for our loved one that got to go home. I ask you this question. Do you have that hope? You're only going to find that hope in Jesus. If He's your Lord and Savior, you have that hope. You've got a reservation in heaven waiting for you to get there when it's your time. Your loved one, if they were a believer, they've punched their ticket, they've got their reservation, they're hanging out with Jesus right now, having a great time. Life has begun for them. As you grieve, hope in your Lord and Savior. That's the key to all this.